today. So John 13, 18, where Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' uh, feet. So um, yeah, let me give you an update as you're turning there. Um, uh, we are in the process, as you know, of selling off that uh, a portion of that land back there. And I want you, to, I say this because I want you to keep praying. And so um, our, the developer that is buying it from us got word from the city uh, within the last week or so. Uh, just need some clarification and a couple minor things. And the developer told us that, um, that that's a good sign that it, there just wasn't hardly anything. And he says, it should be going through here uh, pretty quick. So I'm hoping the Lord will bless us and me that it will all happen by the time I get out of here. That'd be just great. So if you don't know, um, we are selling uh, some property back there and we're going to be able to pay down our mortgage by a million dollars. And so that's pretty exciting. And, uh, but I just want you to keep praying. It, it kind of goes off the radar, doesn't it? And you forget. But um, just pray that it will go through and the Lord will just do what he's going to do. Um, so let's pray this morning. And I want to pray for some needs that um, are in the body as well. Father, thank you so much for our morning. And we want to lift up um, Lori's mom, Judy, to you this morning. As she right now, Lord, is having her put in, would you watch over her? And even though, Lord, she may be not aware of what's going on right now, you are. And so guide the doctors and nurses, Lord, we pray. Uh, comfort Lori and the other brothers and sisters that they would not worry. And Father, would you be glorified as this dear woman who loves you and you love her, she's your child, would you just watch over her, Lord? We also pray for Don and his friend that's in the Bahamas, and we pray for him in that area. We also pray for that whole area, Lord, that has been so devastated. Father, thank you that nations are responding with relief. Work, Lord. In the tragedy, may you be seen May people cry out to you. May people call out to you. May people trust you, Lord. And so thank you, Father. And we also just lift up anybody in the church that might be needing of healing this morning. We lift up Gary and just pray that you would touch him, Father. You'd bring your healing hand upon him. In Jesus' name we pray. Now open up our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's read the verses this morning so they're fresh in your mind. John 13, 18, I'm going to only go to 30. And so having finished the washing their feet, Jesus says at 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, and one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. 
And so the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. And when I've dipped it, and so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Uh, Jesus said to him, what you are doing, going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And so after receiving the morsel of bread, immediately he went out, and it was night. I'm sure even if you're not a baseball fan, you know the name Babe Ruth, right? Okay. And so if you're a baseball fan, you definitely know who he was. He played 22 seasons in the major, major leagues from 1940 to 1935. And he had a lot of great nicknames. They were some things like the Great Bambino, right? Or the Sultan of Swat, or I like this one, just the Big Bam. And he really was an amazing baseball player. Um, he played for three different teams. He played for the Boston Red Sox and then for the New York Yankees. And some don't realize that he played for the Boston Braves as well as he, I think that was towards the end of his career. And most of him, most he is remembered for hitting 714 home runs in his career. And that stood until Hank Aaron broke that. And since then, it's been broken again. But what you might not know, he was also uh, held the record for most seasons, 11 seasons, where he hit 40 home runs or more. I came across this story that Babe was una- an idol to many sports fans, but in time, uh, hit, as sports players uh, grow old, his popularity started to fall off. In one of his last games in Cincinnati, he began to falter, he, str- he, he struck out, and made several misplays that allowed the Reds to score five innings in one run, um, or five runs in one inning. Um, Did you catch that? Okay, yeah. If you didn't catch that, welcome to the party. (laughs) Um, He was pulled from the game, and as the babe walked toward the dugout, his chin was down. He was dejected, and there rose this... uh, uh, stand of enormous shouts, uh, people stood and booed him and called him other names. Amidst that, an incredible thing happened. There was a little boy that jumped over uh, the, the rail, and with tears streaming down his face and his cheeks, he ran out to meet the great athlete. Unashamedly, he flung his arms around the babe's legs and held on tightly, And Babe Ruth scooped this little boy up, hugged him, took his hand, and the two of them walked off the field together. And you you could picture that in your mind, but wouldn't you have loved to have seen that story? And that's a great picture of where we're going to head today in this area of loyalty. When all others boo, this little boy was still a fan. And he he wasn't afraid to show it, and he was loyal to the end. And again, that's where I want us to look at today, this area of loyalty. You have 12 disciples that were in that room that their feet was washed. 11, we know, were loyal. Many of them would end up dying for Christ. 
And there was one that was disloyal, and that was Judas. And so we want to look at that. Now, loyalty and loyal has been defined in this way. Giving and showing firm and constant support and allegiance to a person. That's good. Synonyms would be things like faithful, true, devoted, steadfastness, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, trustworthiness, and untrustworthiness, or unwavering, I mean. And as you think of this, we want to think about the Lord is a loyal Lord, and we want to think of us, we are to be loyal followers of Christ. The Urban Dictionary, which is an interesting dictionary, it's an online dictionary that you could put your definition to of something, and I imagine if you're totally off, they'll take it out. But I found some in there that I like. It says, making someone a priority, stand true to someone, even when other things call attention, showing support for a person. That's pretty good. Uh, loyalty is a state of being ultimately unselfish. It is a byproduct of love that compels someone to place importance in another's well-being above their own. Without thought, without decision, without question, loyalty is standing by another person regardless of anything else. And then I like the last one. A word that your boss regularly spouts out when you play a practical joke on him, right? And I just like that because I'm a boss and at times that's happened to me, you know. But anyway, as we noted last week, chapter 13, especially this first part or really the whole part, because it centers around the washing of the disciples' feet, loyalty comes out by the counter of, or it's the counter of Judas who represents disloyalty. So I know you won't find that in the text. And I didn't really, I guess I could talk about, and we are going to talk about disloyalty because I'm going to talk about Judas this morning. But for you and I, we want to be about that subject of loyalty uh, in that. In our passage also, Peter gets mentioned. Peter is a great example of loyalty. He is loyal to Jesus Christ. Even though last week we saw that it seems that he, was, he stood up to Jesus and said, you are not going to wash my feet, okay? That, he was wrong. We know that. But he wasn't disloyal, was he? And we know that especially after Jesus is crucified, that Peter's loyalty is amazing up to his death when he died for Christ. Oftentimes we think of the Apostle Paul as the one who is this amazing example into the New Testament. He is. But don't understand, Peter was one of the first and greatest leaders in the early church. And he went all types of places proclaiming Christ. And so he's a great example of loyalty. And the reason I bring that up is because in Judas and Peter, you get this contrast, don't you? And again, we see those things in the scripture all the time. Judas is getting held up. And then you look at the disciples, you look at Jesus, you think of Peter, you think of John, and you see loyalty there. And so the Lord wants us to see this, this contrast there. And so along with being humble and having humility in our life and being servants and the servanthood quality in our life, that loyalty is a quality that we need to have in our lives. And so you think about that. And I know you believe this. And if you don't, I want you to believe this, that if you will just think about that as we go through this passage this morning, the Lord will speak to you. He will encourage you, hopefully, where you are loyal. He'll remind you gently of places where you have not been loyal. He might even remind you firmly 
that this is going on in your life right now. And that is not the character I want in your life. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. Now, Judas has been mentioned two times before chapter 13 in the Gospel of John. One of them was in 6-7 when Joel taught this about Jesus being the bread of life and the misunderstanding that came about, right? When he said, you must eat my flesh, and people are going, you know, they didn't say this, but is this cannibalism? You know, and it, in that passage in John 6, it says many quit following him after that point, okay? But speaking to his disciple, he said to them after that, do you want to go as well? In other words, lots left. And look what the scripture says, starting at verse 68. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, we're not going anywhere. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And then this is where Jesus, Judas gets mentioned the first time in this gospel. And yet one of you is a devil. Boy, that describes Judas. And you can understand the characteristics of the devil. And now all of a sudden he is saying Judas has those traits. Okay, and we'll explain that as we go on. He speaks of Judah. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Then the next time it came up was in chapter 12, verse 4 and 6, when Mary anointed uh, Jesus' feet with that incredibly expensive ointment. Yesterday, I was up in Snohomish, and there's a soap store up there. If you're ever up there, it's just a little tiny soap store, south side of the street. You got to go into it. I've been, the lady's just wonderful. She makes all her own soap uh, in her house up in Granite Falls. And you walk into the store, and you just get hit by the fragrance of the soaps. And I uh, can imagine what this was like when that ointment. But anyway, that's not the point. But here's what it says of Judas in John 12. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he whom was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denaria and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So again, I just want to remind you of the shady character you have in Judas. And then last week, you just pick up to verse 2 on your own. Judas gets mentioned there in the passage that we're in today. And so having washed the disciples' feet, giving them this picture of serving, and that's huge, you guys, for me, that we would truly be servants. Jesus' tension now shifts a little bit. It's on the disciples, right? But it's going to shift to the disciples and his concern that when they see Judas do what he does, that they will still be strong. And so look at verse 18 again. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And so there's at least two reasons Jesus does what he does here. And one, it was that he wanted to point out scripture is being fulfilled. Prophecy is being fulfilled. And again, you guys, that should always encourage you. You have to understand when something was spoken of in the Old Testament and then it took hundreds of years for it to be fulfilled, the odds of that coming true are through the roof that it's not going to come true. But in the Bible, they do come true. 
And this was a fulfillment of that. Jesus said the scripture will be fulfilled. And your Bibles probably have a cross-reference to Psalm 41.9 where it says, He, even my close friend in whom I've trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And there it is. The second thing is that their belief in Jesus and who he was would be strengthened. Because they're going to see this. They're going to see what Judas does. And it's going to seem as if Judas is responsible for Jesus being crucified. Now, we know God is in charge. But they're going to see that. And Jesus wants them to see who he is, to see his deity, that he is God, and that they wouldn't be shaken in their faith. So none of this surprised Christ. Christ knew this was what was going to happen, and he knows that. And so Judas is a traitor, you guys. I read some stuff this week, and I didn't want to go that route. But there have been many traitors in this world, uh, and traitors are, are horrible. They, they, trade, uh, they become traitors against their country and other causes. And in the history of the world, in the history of our country, uh, great damage has been done by those who turned against um, the country and what was going on. And so he was a traitor. And notice verse 18 again. Look at that. He says, he lifted his heel against Jesus. And that just means this, you guys. He turned against Jesus. And really, it's thought that he's against Jesus this whole time. He's never been with Jesus. He really thought Jesus was going to be the one that who was going to overthrow Rome now and that maybe he could benefit from that time. And so there's a thought where he has just been getting constantly more discouraged and disloyal to Jesus the whole way around. And by this time, he's had it with him. The NET, do you know that Bible? The New uh, English Translation, it's pretty a cool Bible. Um, you probably don't want to buy the Bible because it ends up being so thick because of all the footnotes. But if you go online, it's an easier way to act. It. And it gives us this note. The phrase can mean, the phrase lifted his heel against us, that he has become my enemy. And the literal, the literal reads in the Hebrews of Psalm 41 is, he made his heel a, a great against me. And so they say this is an idiom, um, like it's raining cats and dogs, Right? It isn't raining cats and dogs, but we know when we say it's raining cats and dogs, one, it's raining, and it's raining hard, exactly. And so this was an idiom that has given me a great fall, is the idea there, has taken cruel advantage of me. He's walked out on me. And, and so when he says that, it speaks of the betrayal of a close associate. And Judas was a close associate. He was one of the 12. He was in, if you want to say, that inner circle of 12. He was part of that. That's why you're going to see in this passage, the other disciples don't even get it after he identifies Judas as being the traitor. They don't see it. They, just, they think Judas is one of them. He's given all that appearance. But he is a traitor and he's disloyal to Jesus and the fellow disciples. Listen to what John MacArthur says. I think this is so good. Though Judas closely accompanied Jesus, he never gave him his soul. And don't get hung up on what is the soul, where is it all. Don't do that. In other words, he never gave him his being. He never gave him who he really was, right? And I like that. And so he went to the chief priest. Matthew 26 tells us that Judas did and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him? And you know what happened? They weighed out 30 pieces of silver. 
That's what they gave him for betraying him. And so Judas, you got to understand this, he could have turned multiple times and repented and not been the, ended up being the traitor that he was. When he heard Jesus, remember, he's with Jesus the whole time. He's hearing the, the teachings. He's hearing the parables. He's seeing everything that's going on. And when he heard Jesus give the parable, the unjust servant in Luke 16, he could have changed. When Jesus preached so many different times on the love of money and against greed and against pride, that was Judas, and he could have changed. Or when he heard Jesus say, one of you is a devil, like we read, he could have changed. You know, I'm thinking Judas, did he get it there? Did, I mean, you know, ever had that thing when somebody is saying something and you know you're the one? And they might not even know it, but you and God know it, you know. Well, that's what Jesus just did there. And when Jesus spoke of judgment that was to come to the one who would betray him in Matthew 26, 24, he could have changed. But he never gave Jesus his soul, his heart, his life. He was hard and he was about himself. And that's a great question for all of us to ask ourselves right now. Again, I never do this to try to put trips on anybody. But have you given Jesus your soul? It's so important. You know, I was reminded this week we're going to go through today's the 8th. So the 9th, 10th, and 11th. The Wednesday is the 11th, 9-11, right? 9-11's when 9-11 happened. That's what we refer to it now. But I'll never forget 9-11, 72 is when I gave my life to Jesus, when I gave my soul to Jesus. And I just think that that's so important. And if you've never done that, I'll tell you, it's not just a matter of just saying words. You will truly be born again spiritually and your life will change. And so the disciples, we go on verse 21. He says there, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Note that. I'm going to tell you what troubled means there. And testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciple looked at one another. So they're looking at each other. This is an intimate setting, okay? They're not on one side of the table looking at the camera or looking at the artist painting them. They're sitting around. Their feet are reclined. They're casual. John's going to lean right over to him in a minute, right? Uh, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Could you imagine if you were in that room? You'd all of a sudden go, one of us? You know, type of thing. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So John, and John never identifies himself in the gospel of John as John. Did you know that? He refers to himself there as the one that Jesus loved, right? That's how he refers to himself. But John is the one that's sitting beside Jesus. And I don't know, we don't, we'll only speculate, why did they sit where they sat at this meal? But he's sitting there and it says, so Simon Peter motioned to Jesus, or to motion to, John, uh, to ask Jesus whom he is speaking of. And so you could just see that, can't you? They're sitting around and it seems like there was probably maybe some other stuff taking place. And so Jesus says this and you could see Peter across the room going, John, John, ask him, who's he talking about? Reminds me of my wife. I actually banned Wink from our staff meetings years ago uh, because she just, if you ever get to know this side of my wife, my wife has an amazing sense of humor. And she is a joker. And I would be trying to conduct as, you know, an incredible senior pastor. 
with almost all power. And there would be my wife just disrupting the staff meeting with saying something. And I knew I could watch her. She'd lean over and say something, and the person would giggle. And it's just like, so I finally said, you're out of the staff meetings. No more can you come, you know. But anyway, that's kind of like what we're seeing here. You know, Peter's going, John, ask. And, and so that's what he does. And so the disciple leaning, look at 25, the disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? And so it's interesting there because it says the disciple leaning back against Jesus. Now, did he just start leaning back on Jesus uh, once Peter asked him so he could whisper in his ear? Or was he leaning back? It's a great picture, isn't it? So often we, 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 we think Peter is, I mean, Jesus is, you know, he's Jesus. And, and you, you, you have boundaries with him. Watch it. But John had no problem. And I love it that Jesus had no problem. You know, it's like you guys that have grandkids or kids. Is there anything sweeter than your kid or grandkids? And if you know that, when your dog or cat, <laughs> you know, cuddle with you, you know, they just depend upon you. It's awesome, isn't it? You know, I went up and had dinner with my grandkids on Thursday night. And it's just, it's, it's just wonderful. It's the best thing there is in the world. But that's what's going on here. And there's another great thing to think about that maybe is going to speak to somebody this morning is that do you lean upon Jesus? Do you become that intimate with him? Do you realize you can and that he wants you to? And even though it's not a physical thing that he will bring the comfort you need, and he's the only one that can really do that. And so he did that and it says there, though, that he, he is troubled, troubled in his spirit. And he's troubled over the fact that Judas is going to betray him and betray the love and the friendship that Jesus has shown him. It could also mean the word trouble there, and your Bibles might translate it distressed or stirred or agitated. And so that was what was taking place. And Mark's account, Mark 14, tells us the disciples were grieved as well. And one by one, they said, surely it is not I, Rabbi. And I never saw this before, but disciples is plural. And it says, surely not I, Rabbi. And I think it says, every one of them said, surely not I, including Judas. Again, I want you to understand his character. That here's a guy that knows what he's going to do. He's no longer with Jesus. He is actually against him in his heart. And he has the nerve to say, surely not I, Lord, you see. And so the disciples, not knowing who he was speaking of, motioned, like I said to you, to John about who he was. And you get another contrast, don't you? Like Peter and Judas. You get this with John, the disciple that Jesus loved. You get this contrast of intimacy and loyalty and just the opposite of Judas. So John asked, again, look at verse 26. He said there, verse uh, 26, Jesus answered, it is, it is he, he answers now, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so now Judas gets identified as the betrayer, as a disloyal one, but even then the disciples couldn't see it. And that is not unusual, isn't it? Have you known somebody in your life that you once trusted and you continue to trust them 
and then you found out they could no longer be trusted? That the loyalty you thought you had with them was no longer there, see? And it takes us time at times to see that. But that's what was happening here, and they just couldn't understand it. And what's easy to miss, we saw it last week when we mentioned in verse 1 the words, he loved them to the end. The morsel of bread is interesting. Watch this. The morsel of bread would have been dipped into a mixture of bitter herbs and vinegar and water and salt. And then this is a good part, crushed dates and figs and raisins. So you're going, okay, I could handle that. I could take this unleavened bread and I could dip it into that, okay? Um, The Good News Bible, which again, I encourage you to look at. The Good News Bible says, I will dip some bread in the sauce. And so all of a sudden you get a picture of what's going on here. And, and what it does is this, you guys, it shows us that even up to the end, Jesus' love for Judas was still there. Incredible depth of love. His disciples and you and I and all the world who have believed, Jesus loves. He loves those who have committed to him in a different way than he loves the whole world. But God so loved the world, you and I, others there. And so when this morsel of bread was given to a person like this, it was significant because it was to uh, single out a person for special honor. And Jesus was showing his love and kindness right up to the end by doing it to Judas and giving him that honor, that special honor. Edwin Bloom says this, this was the Lord's final extension of grace to Judas. And I like that. Because again, so often people will say, uh, uh, God is unjust, but no, he's full of mercy. He's full of grace as he does this. And so look at verse 27. Don't look at them. They're just disrupting the meeting and uh, disrupting the service. No, it's okay. It's chilly. Oh, the smoke. I saw a couple of people pass out. I thought it was a spirit. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. And so verse 27, he says just the first part, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, into Judas. Okay. And it would seem at this point that Satan, the devil, is influencing Judas and leading Judas. But at this point, it's believed that Judas actually is possessed now and he will take total control of Judas and what he's going to do. So verse 27, the second part of it, he says there, um, let me find it here. My eyes go a little. Um, He said, Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to them. And some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. And so after receiving the morsel of bread, that, that, that thing of honor, he said to him, he immediately went out and it was night. And so two things here, you guys, that we should note is when Jesus says, what are you going to do? Do quickly. The little translation is do it more quickly, which scholars tell us uh, probably implies Jesus is, says that what he does here, he does so to get Judas to do it now, to not disrupt the timing of God. And everything about Jesus' death was in his father and his hands. Do you understand that? If you're here to, today 
And you're either young in the Lord and you don't know the Lord and you go, why would God do that? It's because Jesus was the only perfect sacrifice. And if you come to the Lord, you realize how grateful you are. And that's kind of a crazy thing, isn't it? In earthly terms and in worldly terms, we usually aren't excited when someone we love dies. It's usually a painful thing, right? But in this case, when you come to the Lord, you actually rejoice in his death because you realize it was his death and resurrection that has brought you your freedom from sin and the joy in your life and so forth. And so that's a little translation. And even today when people are so anti-God, and again, rather than just get so riled about that and upset about that, be wise. Look out. Read the t signs. It's a sign that the times are getting close to Jesus' return. They are. The world's turning against him. I just look at that and go, this is going to get good. It's going to get interesting, you know. But in that, you have to understand that Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. God is always, never will cease to be, omnipotent, all-powerful, and omniscient, all-knowing. And so when we see our world going the way it is, and you, many of you still have kids that are involved in public education, and you see the stuff coming down the pike in the public schools and stuff and so forth, understand, God is in control. God was in control when Judas did what he did, and if it wasn't his will, he wouldn't have let it happen. And when we see the things going on today, don't think that God is being outmatched or outplayed in the chess game. He's not. And make it personal. Are you in the midst of something? Is there something in your life? You don't need to figure it out. I appreciate Keith this morning as we were praying earlier this morning. He basically prayed something to the effect that he's sorry that he always wants to know the why, right? <laughs> and he knows that he's not supposed to do that. We're just to trust God. And that's what we have to do is just trust the Lord. He knows what's going on. It has taken me 41 years of ministry to get to the point. I told Joel this the other day because I want to just pass on a few nuggets maybe that he'll remember. And really, seriously, the one has been when I first started the church years ago, anytime something happened, and we went through some major things at times, falling out with people, so forth and so forth, I always thought that it was going to collapse. And this church plant called Calvary Chapel Edmonds Linwood, it wasn't going to happen. And now when things have happened over the last several years, I go, it's okay. God's going to work it out and it's not going to collapse. And because I've seen him just do it too many times, see? And so that's a great word to all of us that we would do that as well. And so note too, the one thing was um, to note we're close, uh, that what Jesus is going to do, do quickly. But now note the words, and it was night. And so most time we think, he's just saying, oh, it's nighttime. When this took place, he wants to document it. But everyone I read points out the fact that more than likely John was saying, and you think about this, he wrote later after the fact that Judas now had entered into the darkness completely. And Jesus is the one who allows us to enter into the light. And that's significant when you look at it that way. And so in this passage of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and these three marks, humility and being humble, servanthood and being a servant, and loyalty and being committed, I want to just give you four things in closing, okay? 
Number one, we believe and have a God who is loyal. I think that's important. We do what we do because we base it on the scriptures and we base it on the God that we love and that we serve. And because God is loyal, we want to be loyal. Look at Deuteronomy. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those whom he loved and kept his commandments to a thousand generations. See, there's the loyalty of God. Or in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. In other words, he can't deny who he is. And Lamentations 3.22 says, the steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so often we sing that song and we know that song, but notice that his steadfast love, which would include his loyalty to us. Okay, Joel's going to hit on love next week and they go hand in hand here. It says it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So that's the first thing. Two, serving Jesus who is loyal and committed to us, we then are to be the same, right? What father doesn't want his son to reflect him? What mom doesn't want a daughter to reflect him? You know, if you are lead at a company, you want your employees to pick up your leadership and follow like that but we're to be that way. Mark 8, 34 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, see? And so our loyalty is to be to Jesus. Uh, Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many compassions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I hope you could say, thank Lord for the friends that I have in my life that stick closer than brother. Look how the, any, the New Living puts it. It says, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. And I like the good news here again. Some friendships do not last, but some friends are more than loyal than a brother, see? And that's what the Lord wants in our life, that loyalty, that quality. Three, grow and develop in your loyalty. And I was just thinking this. It's really simple. This isn't rocket science. That in everything, when we come to Christ, we know nothing about Christ in the scriptures. And even after years, sometimes we realize, I still don't know much. And that's why we are to continually to have this growth going in our life and in, in growing and developing. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so again, are you growing in this area? Have you seen in your life at times where there has been a lack of loyalty? That's okay. I, think, I don't think any of us could say, oh, I know I've, I've never been disloyal. That happens at times. But we want to use the scripture to remind us we are to be loyal. We are to be men and women are of our word and of our actions. And then fourth, your loyalty to the Lord and others will be tested. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And the New Living puts it this way, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. And how much we thank the Lord for loyal friends in our lives that are there for us, that will be with us. 1 Corinthians says this, you know this passage, but you never looked at it in the sense of loyalty. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. 
And not only does that speak true of the Lord's love to us, but that is what our love is to be. Martin Luther said this one time, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of a soldier is proved. And our loyalty will be tested at times. But again, you guys, I'm just thinking of things that, you know, it's in the passage, but important to me. Being humble in humility is important in your life. Don't ever get to the point where you think you know it all. And when sometimes you're coming across like you know it all, be careful and repent and say, Lord, it is you, it is not me. But that's so important, isn't it? And nothing's wrong with getting older and being humble. You know, the last, we've been in this transition with Joel, and I don't know if you've seen it or had the chance to see it, but I have no problem. The minute we made the transition and Joel became the lead pastor and I became kind of the executive, more powerful uh, assistant. (laughs) They're all titles, guys. It's just, I I had no problem. And even this week, I was uh, gonna, I wanted to run home for the weekend this coming. I asked Joel if I could. I said, you don't have to answer me now. He said, yeah, go ahead. I have no problem submitting to him because he is the lead pastor of this church. But we want to do that, and we, we want to be loyal to one another. So I pray that these will be things that you'll just tuck away, and you'll keep growing. Don't go out of here and beat yourself up because you realize where you, you lack humility or lack being a servant or lack being loyal. Just take it as a, I love the gentle reminders. I, th- I call them gentle reminders by the Holy Spirit through his, God's word of these things are important. And guess what? In Christ, every one of us can have these things in our life. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to close some, with some worship. So guys, gals, come on back up. And then afterwards, you guys, I hope you'll stay. Uh, the weather outside is frightful. But we have mini tables set up and we've got chicken and burgers and hot dogs and potato salad and watermelon. So just hang out for a while. And you don't have to worry about lunch. We got it for you. Amen? Amen.